Okay, we have um, today, we will talk about uh, the difference between uh, big data engineers and data scientists. And we have special guest today, Roxolana. Roxolana works as a big data engineer in uh, Captify, right? And uh, yeah, so today she will talk about um, um, the role of a data engineer and data scientist. Welcome. Thank you. Um, before we go, before we start with our uh, main topic, um, let's talk a bit about your background. Can you tell us a bit about your career journey so far? Yeah, sure. So I have a software engineering degree in uh, one of the Kiev universities. It's both bachelor and master's degree. And uh, after that, I was working for some time as a backend engineer in Java, mostly. And just at some point, I learned about data science, big data engineering, and uh, I had some time to make a decision what exactly I would want to do. And kind of backend engineering at some point just got a bit boring for me. So I switched into big data engineering, learned uh, Scala programming language. And uh, that's my main programming language now. And um, for a few years, I worked at a company called Siklum. It's quite uh, famous in Ukraine because it's quite a big company, one of uh, top five. And uh, it's an outsourcing company which works with clients and uh, as well as has some research. So uh, I was working at the R&D department. We had some internal research stuff and uh, also I worked for some client projects. And uh, only two years ago, I joined Captify, which is a product company. We are building a product in the sphere of uh, advertising. And actually, the company is British. It's based in UK, but it has a part of the engineering team in Kiev where I'm based and uh, mostly pro working on the product parts, specifically in the big data engineering team. Hmm. Yeah, I've heard that in advertising, there, are, there is so much data that uh, this data engineering, big data engineering becomes really important because these companies every day gets, get terabytes of data and they need to effectively uh, process this data, right? Yeah, and also what kind of makes uh, the solution of uh, Captify unique is data insights, which mm -hmm. are obviously delivered with the help of big data engineering team by having different uh, sources of data and ways to transform this data and deliver it to the client. Mm -hmm. So well, what do you do at work? Uh, what do you usually do as a big data engineer? So my main responsibility is building data pipelines. Uh, usually it's ETL format, extract, transform, load. So kind of reading the data from some source, uh, building transformations, some aggregations, and uh, uploading it somewhere, which will be available for other users. It can be a relational database, or it's often just uh, data storage like HDFS or S3, and uh, users can query the data using query engines like Impala. So usually we kind of service in such a way the data to the analyst team so they could run queries and build reports. That's kind of the main responsibility. Aside from that, um, we have some internal libraries development um, researchers, like for example, right now I'm working a bit on the Delta Lake introduction from uh, Databricks. And uh, also we have like either some features uh, added some small fixes because it's a bit of legacy code already. The product is quite stable. And uh, also some new creation of new pipelines or just redoing kind of the existing infrastructure. Sometimes we just rewrite in some parts to make them more performant. So um, 
optimizing performance of existing pipelines is also a big part of the job, especially during some production incidents or just when you see that something performs not as good as it's supposed to do. Mm -hmm. So basically your main... Uh job is uh, so there is some raw data that is coming from your product that uh, users of your product generate and your job is to take this data convert it uh, you said build this data pipeline ctl etls such that analysts uh, or other users who need to analyze the data they can use tools like impala to access this data run sql queries and uh, get some insights right yeah and well, you also yeah, you also maintain this Impala to make it possible for them to do queries? Um, partially it's work of the infrastructure team, but um, we kind of work mostly on optimizing queries and uh, jobs in such a way that other users would be able to run their queries because if our jobs would take like too much resources, it would be uh, uh, impossible for them. But we set up our own uh, Spark jobs and optimize them in terms of resources, like for example, how many nodes in the cluster we need, how we want to scale that, and we decide for our own jobs and their performance that we want to get less or more resources and that we want to optimize it using Spark capabilities or just improving the code base. Mm -hmm. So what kind of tools do you use? So you mentioned Spark, you mentioned Impala, you also mentioned HDFS and S3. Um, what else do you use for for that for your for doing this creating these pipelines? And those are like the main ones. Uh, aside from that, some uh, AWS services like S3, some services for Spark setup. Spark is built using Mesos for now. Uh, we have a bit of Kubernetes mostly for metrics and alerting system like uh, Prometheus, Grafana as well, and uh, we have some backend libraries for the part of um, data parsing, like um, Play in Scala or libraries for tests, which are also Scala libraries like Scala tests and all of that. Mm -hmm. I remember you have a talk about, um, uh, what is it? Uh, I think this has a funny name about Alice uh, discovering Kubernetes. What's the name of this talk? Uh, I think I have like a series of those. Uh, probably it was the first one when uh, Alice uh, learns the difference between functional programming and uh, Kubernetes, something like that. <laughs> How did you come up with this idea by Alice? Uh, I don't know, it's hard for me to say. It's kind of a cumulative experience because I, before I started to speak at conferences, I visited like tons of local and uh, European conferences. And I noticed that it's much more interesting to kind of get invested into the story aside from the technical side. And that's how I tried this idea with the first talk. And only after some time, I decided that probably I need to build more of those. And then it kind of sparked the popularity because people enjoyed a lot the story side as well. Okay, so it uh, became like a brand, uh, like this kind of, yeah. uh, okay. Yeah, sort of. Um, <laughs> So uh, I'm sometimes a bit confused. So we have data engineers, we have big data engineers. Is there any difference between these two? Like, or they're mostly synonyms of big data engineers and usual engineers? Uh, I mean, I usual data engineers. Like uh, by the book and the way it's supposed to be a difference in terms of um, how you process the data, like big data engineering requires a bit different tools, like heavy load optimizations, data engineering is more like um, software engineering on the back end. 
But in reality, I would say that a lot of companies name big data engineers as data engineers, and it's like constantly a bit confusing because of that. So many just drop the, the big part and just yes. go with data engineer. And um, is there any difference in tools? Uh, because, for, for example, you, you say you mentioned Spark, Impala, um, things like this. And uh, what I see in uh, data engineers, um, maybe is a bit different. Uh, like I, most of them use Spark as well, but I see more um, cloud-based things like, I don't know, streams, Lambda functions, and things like this. Or it's just, it depends on the company and there's no really big difference. I would say it depends on the company because some companies choose multiple cloud services. Some companies build custom solutions. And because mm -hmm. of that, uh, data engineers might be more on the side of, for example, parsing data, which is considered to be like more backend thing or writing, reading from the database while more big data thing is working with uh, so-called big data specific data formats like uh, Avro, Parquet, and Protobuf. Probably like backend engineers usually work with JSON or maybe a little bit with CSVs. Okay, so at the end, usually there is not much difference. Right? Yeah. Okay, and so what kind of, I, I think we talked a bit about tools. So we talked about um, uh, Spark, uh, Cloud, uh, um, and you mentioned Scala as well. I think Python is quite popular. Yeah. What kind of skills, if we're not, if we're not talking about specific tools, but more skills or more fundamental skills, what kind of skills they need uh, to be able to do their job? I would say the most important one is coding skills. Um, it's often that um, senior level engineers get into big data engineering, which is quite logical because they already have some experience on the backend side, and then they learn big data stack and just understand already how it works behind the scenes. So definitely a great level of coding skills. Um, another one is working with databases, like writing queries, being able to optimize them. Usually it's uh, SQL databases, sometimes NoSQL. So kind of being able to switch from one to another, because uh, in my experience, when you join different companies, sometimes you have totally different stack or even different project and you just have to switch real quick. So those, are, those would be the main ones. And uh, the one which I also consider important, but sometimes kind of missing out is uh, infrastructure side skills, like understanding of the networking, for example, being able to know uh, how the racks look like, like how does it work on the hardware side, why it's important to optimize some of our applications in such a way and uh, not being afraid of kind of getting into infrastructure side and setting up something because we do need to do that sometimes. Mm -hmm. And so what about distributed computing and things like this? Like MapReduce yeah, and so, or it's included in, a, in databases sort of? I would say that um, kind of now frameworks are on such a high level that sometimes people like don't need to understand that, but I would say that it's quite a basic thing, kind of university stuff. Mm -hmm. So I remember we at the university, we studied this MapReduce. Uh, I don't think I really used uh, Hadoop after university. So we just covered it at the university. And uh, so we learned how to do this, but outside, not really. But uh, it's still important to, to know these concepts, right? 
And I would say um, it's important to understand them, but in terms of Hadoop, it's getting really outdated lately mm -hmm. because when I was starting out, it was important to understand how it works, like HDFS specifically, but right now a lot of people, a lot of companies just switch to something else instead of that because it's easier to maintain some cloud services, for example. Mm -hmm. Yeah, indeed. And so we talked about big data engineers. So they um, take care of data preparation. So there is some data generated by the users of our product. So uh, data engineers, big data engineers take care of processing this data and uh, making it possible for analysts and other people to run their queries. What do data scientists do usually in this setup? Yeah. The main part would be actually building machine learning models, but it's only one part of the machine learning model cycle, how it's called, because they do need to clean the data, prepare it to build uh, features, create the models, uh, deploy them sometimes. Sometimes it's in their role, sometimes in someone else's, but still they need to understand very well how it's supposed to be deployed. So they would be able to evaluate it further and uh, it's called the cycle because it can get repeated again if we need to fix some features, um, tune hyperparameters, or just in general, go to another solution because this one is not really good for our needs. Mm -hmm. So clean the data is uh, something that data scientists do. So you cannot expect data engineers to clean data for data scientists, right? I would say it's a bit controversial because sometimes uh, data engineers do that. Sometimes uh, data scientists need to still have this pre-processing step. Depends on the company as well or just the way the pipeline is built. Mm -hmm. And I guess at the end, both do uh, just different, uh, different kind of cleaning, right? Yeah. Okay. And uh, so in terms of... Um, um, responsibilities, I think I have uh, an understanding. In terms of tools, I think data scientists use quite a different set of tools, right, from big data engineers. Yeah, sometimes they can coincide in Spark because now Spark is getting more and more popular for machine learning as well. And uh, Python is also heavily used by some big data engineers. So they can kind of coincide here, but yeah, mostly machine learning engineers or data scientists would use some multiple specific libraries for a specific model case, whether it's recommendation system, deep learning or computer vision. And they may not get involved that much with infrastructure, for example. And yeah, databases would be practically the same, especially if uh, data engineers just push the data there and data scientists just read it from there. And in terms of uh, the programming language, um, like uh, you use Scala, yeah. Do your uh, do data scientists who you work with, they also use Scala or they use Python? Uh, they use Python and we kind of communicate through files or data mm -hmm. that we write to database. So therefore they don't need to go into our source code. But they also have uh, software engineers, kind of machine learning engineers who work with both Scala and Python depending on the task. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you produce a file, a parquet file, for example, and then a data scientist, they know how to to read this file using Python, for example, and this is how you yeah. work. Um, so actually, my next question was, how do you work together? I think we partly answered that. So the interface for you is uh, the files that you create. So you create files and uh, data scientists consume these files. But how do you work in general? Do you work in the same team or do you work in different teams? So how the, the process looks like? 
So in my company, we work in different teams. We don't even have that much like connection because we don't really know what data scientists do with the data later. We just deliver it the way they need it. For example, they can just ask to add some field or to build some transformation because it's easier to build it on our site and it would be like less heavy load. In uh, other projects that I saw or that my colleagues worked on in different companies, sometimes they have this specific team where they have a dedicated data engineer or multiple data engineers and they work closely on each step of the pipeline. So it's kind of different things. And uh, sometimes it just happens the way I work. Like in my career, I didn't really work closely with data scientists and just was usually outside of work, like just my interest to see how it works. While uh, my colleagues from previous workplace, for example, that change the jobs, they constantly work with data scientists closely. So it can be different in this. Mm -hmm. So if a data scientist needs a new field, would they just go and create a Jira ticket for you? Hey, I need this field or yeah, something like this. Okay. So this is how you interact. Uh, so you sit in maybe in different rooms or I mean, yeah. now we don't have rooms, but uh, different teams, right? And uh, you communicate occasionally through Jira or through maybe some common meetings that you have uh, not yeah. very frequently. Okay. And uh, yeah, maybe we can um, do uh, some sort of a walkthrough of a project. So let's say you want to start a new project and this project is about machine learning, but you still need to process some data before data scientists can do this. Um, do you have some ideas uh, what kind of project we can talk about? We can, for example, take um, some recommendation system case when, uh, for example, we have kind of a Netflix website where we have um, different types of data, users' uh, information and history of their ratings, for example, of the movies or just their searches. And uh, we need to recommend some movies for these users. So the part of data engineering would be to extract this data. Um, we could probably build uh, two pipelines, streaming and uh, static or batch processing. We streaming some new data coming in constantly to update the model later and uh, batch to store the history. And it can be of different formats. And uh, then we would build some kind of uh, transformations to write it to either files like Parquet or CSV for better processing for data scientists or write some part of the information. For example, we could store the data about movies or users in the database and um, have the streaming information about their ratings. And uh, then we could combine this together and data scientists would be able to go through this data, which would be, for example, cleaned from duplicates or some zero values, which are a bit confusing later. And they can define which features uh, would play the biggest role build the machine learning model and uh, the deploy part um, kind of depends who does that. Sometimes machine learning engineers, sometimes data scientists themselves or even data engineers. So someone would deploy the model to production and then data scientists could evaluate whether the solution works or not and deliver some results. And um, actually if it's deployed some tools like um, I don't remember how it's called, but there is this library that uh, is able to be connected to Tableau or write results to the database and if it's uh, recommendations. And then we can display it in Tableau in such a way other users like data analysts or business users can just visualize the data with some graph charts 
while data scientists could kind of um, present the solution with these results in a more graphic way. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we have a Netflix-like website where users can watch movies. So every time a user watches a movie or maybe rate, uh, leave a rating about the movie. So this data ends up in your data pipeline immediately. So you said you have this streaming, uh, you, you have a stream of data this kind of data, right? And you have some sort of uh, processing jobs that take this information, take this event, process this, and then put them, uh, put the, put it in some sort of storage like Parquet or CSV, yeah. right? And then data scientists, uh, data scientists take this data that you prepared from the events and they can train a model on that. So I assume if this thing runs maybe for a month, then they take this one of data, one month of data, and train their model, right? And uh, yeah, and you said that the data scientists also take care of deploying the model, um, and then there are some analysts who can look at the results, right? Yeah. Okay. And uh, so, what kind of tools would you use uh, here, like for Stream, for example? Like, would you use something like Kafka or Kinesis, or what? Uh, what kind of tools would you use here? Probably I would use Flink. It's quite Flink. good for streaming. Spark is not that good, but it's easier to connect Spark and Flink. For example, if you would have a Spark pipeline for batch data processing, like already having some history about users, if uh, the website was created some time ago, we already have some historical data and uh, streaming for Flink, using Flink, and then you can write the Flink files, for example, in some Parquet to S3 storage and the uh, Spark pipeline to would be stored using database, like historical data about users and movies. And uh, then we can combine the two in either a library or data scientists could read from both and um, rely on historical data to build better predictions. Mm -hmm. And then they use their data science tools, but then at the end they have a model uh, which they deploy themselves or you can also help them because I imagine that uh, if, you, if you have this stream of data, maybe this is where you can put this model or not really. Yeah, actually data engineers can help with deploying. Uh, for example, there are tools like uh, MLflow, Kubeflow, which I know other teams in my company are using. And therefore they have like dedicated person to that who is kind of um, data engineer or machine learning engineer, depends on which, how each company calls this person but they work on this more infrastructural side of things, like whether you build an API or you have to work with Kubernetes or cloud services to build the kind of provision for this model service, probably build some container for it. So it's more of a backend work than data science work. Okay, and this person was uh, in the data science team, right? Uh, they were helping the data scientists with this engineering work, right? Yeah, it's kind of the way it works in my mm -hmm. company. Okay, yeah, because we have a question and um, yeah, it's quite interesting and uh, related to what we're talking now. How much data scientists uh, should know about data engineering uh, and what kind of skills they, they need to have? So uh, you mentioned that you have a dedicated engineer in their team. Does this engineer take care of all the engineering stuff or still data scientists need to to have basic knowledge of data engineering? 
In my company, they kind of called machine learning engineers because they do deploy their own models sometimes and they operate with data in other teams or other companies. Sometimes data scientists only work with machine learning models, but I would say that it's kind of ideal case because startups or new projects usually have this, I call it uh, full stack data science because they kind of make one person do everything or at least uh, the part with both model and deployment. So I would say that um, it's important for data scientists just to have an understanding why some pipelines are built in such a way. And uh, so it would be helpful with assessment of time, for example, or having an understanding how long it might take for them to get the data and how some issues on the data engineering side can influence them. But just in general, I would say that it's only necessary to have the skills if this person has to do the whole pipeline, which also mm-hmm. happens sometimes. Mm-hmm. Okay, so your data scientists are engineers, basically. So they, if they need, they can go and figure out how your pipelines work, right? Yeah. But um, like in general, so you said that it's a good idea that uh, data scientists should, should know how pipelines are built. Do you know how they can acquire this knowledge, how they can learn how data pipelines are built. If you're working in a different team, so data scientists work in one team, you work in another team. So how data scientists can get this knowledge? I would say that um, inside a company could be just some knowledge sharing sessions. Like we have, for example, internal engineering meetups where each team sometimes can just talk about the technologies that we use, how we build some solutions. And uh, aside from that, uh, if they are interested in the topic, they can just uh, also learn in some resources like books or courses or some lectures, because I think that it's quite a lot of uh, resources lately on big data engineering since it's becoming more popular. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thanks. And uh, you mentioned that you, in your free time, you're working a bit with data science just to, to learn a bit of machine learning. And we have a question from Prem. Um, is um, the question is, should data engineers gradually try to transition to, to become more data scientists? Um, what, what, is your, um, what are your thoughts about this? Like, should data engineers get to know more data science to be better data engineers? I would say that it's good to know more um, on the side of how the machine learning cycle works. And uh, for example, I don't really work with internals of how machine learning model works. I don't get into that, but I have uh, knowledge of uh, each step. And uh, recently I started like to learn how to deploy that, how to build the whole pipeline and uh, so that data scientists would be able to only build machine learning model. So I would say that it's important to understand uh, each step and uh, all the inputs and outputs of those steps and not that much important to understand how the model actually works. Like we are more on the software engineering side here, like what is the input, what is the output and uh, what happens next kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So you don't need to go into details of how the exact mathematics or even what kind of model they use inside, uh, but uh, you need to know, okay, this is a model. This is the kind of input it gets. This is the kind of output it Mm -hmm. produces and uh, you need to know how, what actually to do with this. How do you package this thing? How you deploy this thing and things like this. 
Yeah, I don't get much into algorithms, but more like it's important to understand what this model actually does because it influences the pipeline, like uh, to actually predict what can happen inside the pipeline or in different cases, which can be unexpected. Mm -hmm. Do you think it would be beneficial for data engineers to actually learn these internals? Maybe not, not into details a lot, but at least uh, like, I don't know how random forest works, how logistic regression works. Or like for for data engineers, it's not really that important. I would say that it's not really important. It's more like um, part of the interest. If it's something that's mm -hmm. interesting, like I know some data engineers that are interested in machine learning and they are trying it out. And I think that it's helpful if they work closely with data scientists. And it's also kind of nice to have different perspective while a lot of data scientists have more mathematical backgrounds and analytical skills, and they kind of come more from software engineering background and have this point of view, which can be also helpful if people collaborate on building such solutions. Mm -hmm. And I guess uh, the same is, uh, like if we reversed it, the same is uh, true for data scientists. It's also for them would be beneficial to know the data engineering part of things. Um, Maybe not just, okay, this is how I use this function in PySpark, uh, but maybe a bit more details, right? To, yeah. uh, it's not required for them to do this, but it would be, would be beneficial for them to get some idea how it works underneath, right? Yeah, yeah, I agree here. Now, and because we have a related question from Steve, um, what advice would you give to analysts or data scientists who would like to transition into data engineering? I would say that the most important thing is to work on um, great level of coding skills. I noticed that um, I was mentoring a data analyst and uh, I noticed that she doesn't have the same background in uh, software engineering and therefore she sometimes couldn't understand uh, how the actual algorithms work, which are quite kind of seem to me basic. And from my perspective, I didn't really understand that, but she had more like mathematical background. And therefore, I think it's uh, very important to have more experience here and uh, learn on that side. Um, aside from that, uh, I think kind of databases and some tech stack coin sites in general. So maybe a bit of infrastructure side as well, if uh, this person would like to get involved in deployment, for example, and the setup of the jobs. Mm -hmm. And uh, algorithms is quite broad. So what kind of algorithms uh, do you think would be most beneficial to know? Like just basic data structures and algorithms or? Yeah, exactly. Some basic data structures. Sometimes like even the code reviews, it comes up that someone could write something in a more performant way, just reusing this knowledge from the algorithms and data structures. It's like uh, use set instead of list. This yeah, I understand. Yeah. Okay. And or how hash map uh, works. Or yeah. Things like this. Okay, are there any other things that uh, would be beneficial to know from this, uh, um, from these algorithms and data structures? Like, would they need to, to go into graphs, for example, or trees, uh, or not uh, at the beginning? Mm, depends on the um, sphere. For example, um, I, I got into graphs because I was working with graph databases. There is this uh, NoSQL databases. So before that, you wouldn't need to uh, know much of that and uh, also it's not that often used like in reality i didn't notice in other companies usage of uh, graph databases and uh, yeah mostly it's about uh, complexity of algorithms it's not like 
just knowing by heart, but understanding why it's better to use this data structure or this algorithm. And also it's uh, a lot in the context of the programming language, like in some programming languages, it's different. Some data structures named differently, some implemented differently. So it's important to know which one is better to use. Do you, from the top of your mind, maybe have a list of must know um, like data structures that you must know to, uh, you know, to, to get started? Like in addition to lists and sets and hash pumps that we mentioned. You know, I kind of get it from Scala, like we have sequences and lists yeah. and arrays, but uh, in functional programming, you don't use arrays much. So it's also different in uh, the way you, the programming language you use. I would say specific to the language in Python, they have different namings for the data structures. Mm -hmm. Okay, I guess the, the sequence you mentioned, I think this is like more maybe a linked list, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, and then you have uh, a different type of list, which is an array, right? So, uh, okay, and then um, sets, like when it comes to sets, there are different ways of implementing a set. You can have a tree-based set or you can have a hash-based set. Do you think it's... Uh, also like a good knowledge to have or not really you just need to know that set is faster than list i would say that just knowing that set is faster than list and in some cases that instead of sourcing you could just use a set sometimes mm -hmm. people do that mm -hmm. and when it comes to databases uh, what kind of databases would you recommend to learn uh, just pick any or i think postgresql is the easiest one to start or mysql so it's kind of not that much difference between the two. I would say that it's also nice to have at least one NoSQL database just to understand how it's different from SQL databases and it's easier than to switch to something else. Mm -hmm. Which one would you recommend? Mongo or? I guess Mongo is the easier to start. I had a lot of fun with Neo4j, but it's very like, specific. Not that many people use it. Neo4j is a graph database, right? Yeah. Then you also have some Mongo, I think it's called a document database. Yeah, you also document have like base. a different kind of, like there are so many NoSQL databases. So you have this document database, databases like Mongo, CouchDB. You also have uh, key value databases. Maybe it's a good idea to try to play with at least one. Or... Yeah, just understand why it's called like NoSQL because when you just hear about them, it's hard to understand and map it to reality. Mm -hmm. And then from the infra infrastructure side of things. So I think you mentioned that data engineers need to know networking um, and yeah, things like this. But when it comes to data scientists who want to transition, they maybe don't need to get into nitty gritties of uh, networking and know the, um, how it's called, like this famous uh, OCI stack, right? Yeah. Maybe they don't need to, to know all the seven layers uh, by heart. But uh, like what kind of things they need to know from the infrastructure point of view to, to know a bit of data engineering to be successful uh, in that? I think Docker is a must because um, data scientists also use Docker as far as I know for at least testing or deploying. Um, also, I would say um, some tools like cloud services that would help to understand, um, kind of have this abstraction on top of the hardware. Like, Which um, uh, cloud services like oh, AWS so Lambda or something like that. 
I would also recommend Kubernetes, but it kind of has this high learning curve. So it's not for everyone in terms of starting out, but it's necessary to use uh, Kubernetes and it's becoming more and more popular. I would recommend trying out to learn that. What's the easiest way to try out uh, Kubernetes? I think just install and try it out. <laughs> like even having a small cluster with one node and setting up something and seeing how it works. Uh, for me, uh, the most interesting part is uh, having it more connected to work. Like when I was just setting up databases, it was kind of interesting, but it's not really practical if you don't have to use with that. You don't have to use that, but um, in data science or data engineering, sometimes you have to deploy some pipelines using Kubernetes and uh, trying out that sometimes helps to actually learn that as a framework and the pipeline and get a better understanding how it works behind the scenes. Like for example, Spark and Kubernetes, it's quite useful for future understanding of how Spark would work with other providers of the data. Mm -hmm. Okay, so if a data scientist or an analyst want to transition into data engineering, so first they need to know the basic data structures, like list sets, uh, maps, uh, etc. Then they need to pick up one relational database, Postgre or MySQL. Then they need to pay to pick uh, one NoSQL database, for example, Mongo. Uh, play with this. Um, also, try to understand what kind of categories are there in NoSQL databases because we mentioned document, key value. Mm -hmm. And then from the infrastructure side, uh, Docker, cloud, and then maybe playing with Kubernetes, even though there is a high learning curve, it's still um, useful to try it. And you said you can just install it locally and play with this, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, thanks. Um, yeah, so let me see what kind of questions we have. So the question we have, um, another question we have is how do you deal with data quality checks? What kind of monitorings do you recommend setting up? I would say at least uh, monitoring how the data flows in the pipelines. Like uh, for example, monitoring that today there is no data in this pipeline or there is uh, like too much data more than you expected to monitor spikes of data, which is also important because it helps to optimize uh, pipelines in the future. And it would be good as well to monitor the schema changes, at least because definitely monitoring data changes, it's way too complicated. But uh, monitoring schema changes, it's quite helpful. What is that? Schema changes? Like... For example, in some um, data formats like Avro Parquet uh, or Protobuf, they have either separate files with schema or they are defined in such a way that you can um, kind of get it separately aside from data and track that it changed or it didn't change some like kind a new of version. edit, for example, right? Or removed this kind yeah, of Yeah, or someone renamed something, which also mm -hmm. happens. Like we had this case recently, it was very <laughs> not cool. And if that happens, if schema changes, if somebody renamed something, what do you do? You just uh, send an alert and abort your job? We, in that case, uh, we didn't have a setup for CSV files because they just have this header and we just noticed that uh, the pipeline doesn't return the same results as it used to in the same amount of data and some empty values and therefore like debugging leads to knowledge that some naming changed. So this kind of monitoring, I guess, is more on uh, data engineers. Do yeah. data scientists also need to do a bit of monitoring for their jobs? 
I think they can just um, do the monitoring in terms of um, whether the model returns the results and uh, whether it's expected results. I would say that another part of monitoring in terms of resources and something like that would be more on data engineers or machine learning engineers. At least it's the way it works in, in another team where data scientists are in my company. Do you think tools you would use uh, are the same? That data, data scientists would use and data engineers or they're different, like tools for monitoring quality? And I think that it could be the same. Mm -hmm. Like for example, some alerts or metrics gathering or something either visual, like dashboards with Grafana or other tools or Tableau. So I think it's quite universal in this case. Yeah, we have an interesting question. Uh, so as you said, the data scientists depend on data engineer, engineers. So let's say if data engineers, data scientists needs a new field, they would open a Jira ticket for data engineers to add this. Um, is there anything on which, for which data engineers depend on data scientists? I think it depends on the workflow. For example, if we would get the results of the models in some way, we would definitely depend on uh, data scientists. Like for example, right now we depend on either the source of data, which is uh, third party clients or the database where another team pushes the data. So we kind of already depend on another team. But on the data scientist side, yeah, definitely if you would uh, get the data from them, for example, the case that we described with recommendations, if you would want to build some reports on that, and before that, we need to do some transformations for other people, for example, analysts, and therefore it could depend on the results of the model. But I guess uh, like it more, what more happens more often is data scientists depend on data engineers yeah. because to train a model, you need to have some data. And if you don't have data engineers, you don't have data or data scientists have to somehow get this data, right? So, yeah. And because of this dependency on data, it happens more often that data, data scientists depend on data engineers. Right? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, so we have a question about data documentation. How do you maintain data documentation? Do you think it's important to, to have it? And what would be your recommendation there? I would say it's just in general important to have it, but a lot of people don't like to create documentation. Therefore, it's not uh, the case for many companies where I noticed that, especially outsourcing companies, if you have fixed time project or just don't have time for that, it happens. Um, in general, I would say that at least it's important to have some schemas documented. Like we have that in terms of the fields, like what is this field? What this table has, uh, like what kind of data is stored there, examples of values for each field, which is also helpful if you would see some anomalies there or just helpful for testing and having like uh, expectations in terms of these values. So yeah, I would say that schema is important or just documentation in terms of um, what happens inside of the pipeline. Mm -hmm. well, what tools uh, do you use for, for that? Would you just create a, I don't know, Excel spreadsheet with that or maybe use a specialized tool for that? Uh, we have, tools? for schema documentation, we use uh, that as Hive SQL files description. So like description of each field, uh, the name and the type. As for the documentation of uh, pipelines, it's uh, in conference, just like documents with some graphs or schemas if 
it's necessary. Mm -hmm. So these HypeSQL files, uh, I think this documentation is uh, uh, is optional, but you you say that, okay, it's our standard that we put documentation there, right? And then you generate documentation from these files. Yeah, in uh, such a situation, it's uh, for us just a decision to build this data governance solution and uh, better understanding what kind of data we process and what kind of data we have inside just from multiple people having multiple tables and no one knows what's in there. Mm -hmm. I assume that data scientists also, they produce a lot of data. So their models produce data. They also need to document the data, right? Uh, do they use the same tool for that? Yeah, they okay. just use the same hive description or mm -hmm. documentation confluence. Uh -huh. So you have a central place for yeah. documentation for your data, for data that uh, data scientists produce, and then there is just one central place. Yeah. Okay, cool. Thanks. Uh, we have a question from Akshat. Is, uh, um, I think, so, um, so how much of data engineering should one ideally know? I think we covered that um, a bit. But um, yeah, so we talked about uh, that, uh, like how much data engineering skills data scientists need to know, ideally. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we were more talking about like if data scientists want to transition into data engineering. But to be able to successfully do work as data scientists, what kind of data engineering skills they should have? I would say that uh, coding skills, it's also important mm -hmm. because I know that some data scientists are more on the mathematical side and they more interested in building algorithms uh, than to write code. And it actually influences the quality of the creation because uh, they can either build just everything, for example, in one notebook and uh, it would be hard to deploy it in some way or they would build the whole solution with libraries and for example, classes in Python, maybe object-oriented programming. So it would be more like software engineering way to do things. And the databases for sure as well, because they do need to read the data or write some results there. Right. Okay. So basically uh, improve your software engineering skills. Yeah. So yeah. I think the trend I see is uh, now most data scientists uh, in most companies that um, I see there is a requirement of being a good uh, developer. So maybe they don't need to be as good as software engineers, but they need to be uh, yeah. decent with coding. Okay. Um, yeah, there is a comment about uh, for getting started with Kubernetes, there is a good resource uh, called uh, Katacoda. And uh, I think I saw it, um, I don't know, have you seen it, Katakoda? Yeah, I tried it once. It was, uh, in the beginning, it's quite useful. You can just try out different commands and see what happens. Yeah, I think I, I saw uh, one with Kubernetes and one with, I think, Kubeflow. And it's pretty cool. So they just um, set up a local Kubernetes for you in browser. And then in this browser, you get a terminal, like a Linux uh, terminal. And then you can do, you have a kubectl there with this Kubernetes, and then you can do, and they basically tell you uh, what you should do, like execute this yeah. command, execute that command, and then you get this uh, feeling. Um, also, Google Cloud has sometimes some code labs. They have this in documentation, for example, of Kubeflow, where you can try out on each step. 
and uh, some of them are free, so it's possible to use them. Databricks has this kind of trainings as well, but they are usually paid. Sometimes they uh, allow to use some of them for free, either for some conferences attend this, like lately Spark Summit is free and people who attend the summit can use these trainings for free, some of them, yeah. Mm -hmm. oh, thanks. Um, so there is a question that I wanted to ask you and I just, um, uh, I just remembered it. So let's say I am graduating from a university. So it was, um, let's say I was studying, um, I'm studying, uh, uh, you know, computer science. So I'm graduating from university, I study computer science, and now I need to make a choice. Um, what kind of position I want to work? Um, uh, do I want to do data science or I want to do data engineering? So which one, uh, which path would you recommend? And why? And maybe uh, you can also think how would you suggest people to find out what they are more interested in? Yeah, and exactly. I would suggest to like find out what's more interesting. Um, why I chose big data engineering is uh, for me, uh, data science was a bit uh, not that determined. Uh, I think that software engineers would understand me because uh, it's hard sometimes to explain why machine learning model does what she does and why these results this way and uh, big data engineering is more like software engineering that it's more determined so for me i was just in general interested in software engineering and i wanted to work with some different tools and different uh, tasks therefore big data engineering is a great way for people who are getting bored in backend engineering or they already just go right from the university and learn more of big data tech and uh, go into big data engineering if uh, the person would be more interested in building algorithms, like mathematics, machine learning, just building kind of fashionable things, like computer vision or deep learning, uh, then it's a good case to start with data science. Mm -hmm. Is there any project you, you would recommend people to try uh, to understand if they like data engineering or not? Like, well, would... it sounds cool, right? Uh, like, if you look, people say, hey, data engineers are so important. The um, data scientists really depend on them. And many people think, okay, it's cool. I want to become a data engineer. But maybe they don't really understand what uh, this work requires. Do you have any ideas, like maybe a small project they can do to try to find out if they like doing this kind of stuff? I would say even building a simple word count and getting more transformations on that or building it building it in a more complicated way and trying to kind of improve it in each step and building the pipeline around because there are so many ways you can do that, like either using HDFS, like uh, MapReduce standard or Spark and uh, try to optimize some algorithms. Uh, the project which I enjoyed working when I was at the university was uh, just working with streaming data. Like for example, Twitter has an open API and you could just read the data and uh, build some analytics on top of that. For example, how many users tweet about this, uh, how many users tweet from this location or another one. And it's quite fun in terms of seeing the results and uh, getting to know how some frameworks work and how you can just deploy it, write the results somewhere, which is a great practical way to see how it works. Mm -hmm. So this uh, Twitter project, it was, so you have uh, a stream of data from Twitter so you build a pipeline, a streaming pipeline to process this data and display it in real time, like on some sort of a dashboard. Yeah, I used oh, uh, cool. Elasticsearch, which was quite easy to kind of connect it to Spark, just dump the data into Elasticsearch and have it displayed in Kibana, which 
it's easy to try and also visualize results of work already. No, oh, that's a cool project. And this uh, word count, uh, this is just uh, you take a text document and you count how many times yeah. each word appears. Do you know any um, documents um, that people can take uh, to, to, to do this? I think there are data banks with some text. So the text can be taken usually. Uh, the typical example is some Shakespeare works, mm -hmm. but maybe it's more interesting to take some article, for example, big article to process more data, or even uh, some scientific article, for example, as well, and uh, get some words from there and analyze that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, Shakespeare, I think it's um, the opposite of big data. Right. This is, I don't know how many kilobytes are there, but <laughs> yeah. even though maybe he was productive, uh, but uh, yeah, not. Uh, um, so one thing uh, I know it's possible to to, to process Wikipedia. Uh, it's also a bit challenging because in Wikipedia you have just one big XML file that you need to figure out how to process. But I guess this is kind of things you as a data engineer, as a big data engineer, need to maybe enjoy like if you enjoy doing this like figuring out okay i have this big xml file how do i actually read it right uh, yeah that could be a part of this then there is yeah. a, a data set uh, maybe you heard called common crawl yeah have you heard about it? Uh, i think they just get a copy of the internet like there is a crawler and then they uh, uh, go on the internet and save all the pages they see and you can just download these pages and like every month they generate, generate like terabytes or petabytes of data. Also, yeah, yeah, there are sometimes some scientific open APIs. Like I found one's uh, NASA, NASA API about uh, their discoveries or some results from their researches. Like for example, some data from Mars and kind of can mm. be found in terms of the topic. Data from Mars. So they publish all the data from Mars? Yeah, I think partially, like not all of the data, but they publish some data from their researches. Ah, that's cool. Like, do you know if they publish it in real time? No? Yeah, I think some of them is in streaming because I was looking at the time into streaming APIs. Yeah, because how cool would it be to build a streaming pipeline to actually get data from Mars and process it? Yeah. Maybe it's not super high volume, but it's quite cool. Also, it's possible to just parse some social media, like Instagram, for example, has an API and uh, parse some information about the posts or Facebook. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. So in social media, there is so much data so yeah. to, to be able to take advantage of that. Um, yeah, we still have some time and we have quite a few questions. So one question is, um, what are your thoughts on companies that use tools uh, for ETLs instead of hiring data engineers? And what are the advantages of um, kind of outsourcing this uh, to these companies and use pre-built tools or hire data engineers and build your own data pipelines? Okay, so I can say that I have some attitude towards that. I think it's just one way to solve the issue. Um, I would say that I noticed this approach for startups or like projects with fixed time and you need to deliver something real quick and to get the results like real quick as well. And therefore it 
really works well because you can just uh, build, for example, AWS or Google Pipeline with all of their services and kind of like construct your details and that's it. Um, I would say that it doesn't really scale well, in my opinion, that after some time, um, there is always something that should be customizable in each product. Sometimes you have new features of the product, new parts of the product, and therefore you can't just rely on the cloud services. So usually works on smaller scale, in my opinion. Yeah, I remember there's a tool from Microsoft that has this drag and drop um, yeah. interface. You just drag uh, and drop these uh, boxes, components, and you connect them with arrows, uh, arrows, and then you say, okay, like you add a deduplication step, you just drag and drop the duplication, then you, you also can do this with fuzzy lookup. You can do quite complex pipelines there. Um, but yeah, I guess they, at some point they become less flexible, right? Yeah. Um, so the question from Wes, um, what are the most challenging tasks for uh, data engineers on their, on, in their daily work? I would say one of those is uh, the duplication of data sometimes because it can be quite a complex condition in terms of uh, how we want to track these duplicates. Another one which uh, I often have to do is uh, historical data reprocessing. It's usually for batch jobs. So for example, there is some mistake one month ago in the data or something changed and you need to go back in time and kind of remove these data and reprocess it back. And it's uh, complicated because it's uh, always very customizable in comparison to just running a job. You have to set up like some data limits, uh, the ways you want to go back, like the ways the solution changes and uh, then also uh, see that it actually works well and that you don't need to do that again. And it's very resources consuming because it's usually big periods of time, at least a week or sometimes months or more than that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. This historical data reprocessing. Uh, yeah, so do you have um, like a way of dealing with this, like a standard approach or like every time you do something different? Uh, yeah, there is a standard approach, but I would say that it currently has a lot of manual steps and we are on the way of trying to automate that. And uh, some of those steps require um, some work from the infrastructure side because of the uh, kind of granted privileges in some systems where you need to delete the data. And uh, yeah, infrastructure team hates this when it happens because it's kind of uh, quite uh, risky to delete some data in production systems and uh, rewrite it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, we had a talk recently uh, in DataDocs Lab about that. I think it was called uh, data historization, which allows to actually do this. So for those who are interested, maybe you can check. But it's indeed a complex topic. So I remember one slide, there was one slide with the algorithm that describes the process. And it's uh, it's quite complicated. So maybe, also, yeah, sorry, please. Sorry. Uh, Delta Lake helps now yeah. with Spark for tracking versions of data, which we're also trying to use to kind of automate that and see how the data changed. And you can kind of travel back in time to different versions of data there. It's also mm -hmm. useful. Yeah, right, thanks. So maybe last question for you. Um, do you know any course about uh, data engineering that could be useful for data scientists? I would say that there is this specialization on um, big data on Coursera, it's just called big data specialization. 
and uh, it's that's the one where I was starting from and it was really great because the first course of the specialization is purely theoretical so if the person doesn't know doesn't want to go into specific practical tasks can just go through the first course where all the tools explain the kind of tasks the data engineers do data formats everything so it gives like great understanding and perspective how everything works and the next courses are more practical on the specific tools and uh, solving specific tasks. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Um, do you have any last words? Just in general, also I would suggest to uh, use the books as well, because uh, I find it kind of even more deeper understanding than uh, sometimes courses or lectures. Like uh, there are a lot of books on Spark or big data in general, which kind of cover quite a lot. Any specific book? Specifically, I enjoyed Spark books like High Performance Spark or Learning Spark. On Big Data, I think um, there is um, a book by, um, I don't remember the name, in, it's about data intensive workloads, something like that. Building just in general. data intensive applications, right? Yeah, something like that, yeah. yeah it has a pig on the cover. Right? Yeah, also, yeah, our island books are great on that. Yeah, I think the, the, the author is Martin Kleppmann and design yeah, yeah. data intensive applications. Yeah. yeah that's, uh, that's a good book. Um, how can people find you? Mm, I am on Twitter, LinkedIn. Also, like you can find my talks on YouTube because most of them are recorded about big data or about Kubernetes as well. And Alice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Alice and Kubernetes. <laughs> yeah. In <Okay>. every part. <laughs> Yeah, thanks a lot for joining us today and for sharing your knowledge with us. And thanks everyone for uh, for joining us and asking questions. And uh, yeah, just want to remind that tomorrow we have another day, the last day of this conference. We will talk about building a machine learning startup. So don't forget to check it. And uh, yeah, I guess that's all. Thanks. Thank you. I enjoyed it. Yes, me too. <laughs> have a great evening. Goodbye. You too. Bye.